We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Monday afternoon, I think. Yes, it's Monday. Britt Robson is here um, of The Athletic, and we are going to discuss what has kind of transpired over the last two weeks. We were just talking before this, Britt, that the Wolves have played six games since two Mondays ago, which was kind of a weird sort of run with the back to back Utah games. Uh, one win, one loss. The loss to Phoenix wins on the road to Atlanta and San Antonio, and then a pretty underwhelming loss at home to a very shorthanded and just generally poor Memphis Grizzlies team. Is there anything that's popping to you from that kind of macro vision standpoint? Well, like in anything, I think it all depends on the lens you want to use. Most fans, I think, uh, and part of it, I mean, the fan is short for fanatic. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're looking out of the game at a time. So right now the, the word on the Wolves is pretty damn dour, you know. Uh, they they played, if not their worst game of the year, you know, that Washington loss was pretty bad. And and I thought that, you know, they really got the, you know, mopped, mopped with, uh, you know, some of the Bruder teams. But it was a bad loss and... Everybody kept saying, with the exception of Josh Okoge, who didn't think anything was wrong, uh, that, uh, you know, there was no energy on yeah. the team. And so uh, from that standpoint, yes, they are terrible. Uh, if you look at 10 and 9, six weeks into the season, sure. pretty good. If you look at, uh, what was it, 2 and 4, 3 and 3, what is that, 3 and 3 over the last six? Uh, 3 and 3, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, I've, a Wolves team that runs 500, you know, I've been pretty consistent about this from the start of the season. If the Wolves can win 41 games or be on a 41-game pace, totally. uh, hey, you know, the, and, and 
you know, integrate their system. Uh, I thought that San Antonio win was the starkest demonstration yet as to why you play space and pace even without the personnel because you could see everybody was getting how to play it. Right. And the shots were falling, but even if the shots weren't falling, the muscle memory of what to do, you know, the systemic muscle memory um, really helps a culture. Sure. And and so if you look at it from that standpoint, I think that's also positive. If you look at it like, oh, they still don't have a point guard or they still don't have outside shooters, then that's a negative. So right. it's it, it's... Is it fair to say that the uh, the wins that they are grabbing seem to be, I don't know, like carrying less weight than those bad losses do. But th- but now I'm thinking about it, and that I was pretty encouraged by that win at Utah. Yeah, and Atlanta a little bit less so on the road, but still a road victory against Miami, a, a team that was rolling even without Butler. I mean, it, Butler certainly wasn't the reason. Uh, the the absence of Butler wasn't crippling for Miami in that Wolves game. The you know Miami played really well. But that like back in the earlier in the season. Yeah, that's what I mean the yeah. third third game of the season. Right. But what I'm saying is if we're looking back on impressive wins. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, there Yeah, you lose to Phoenix. I thought the Phoenix game what bothered me about the Phoenix game was it was there on a platter. I really felt like the Memphis game um it I mean did, on paper the Memphis game was there on a platter. Without John Morant, Jonas Valanciunas, but Kyle Anderson, and Brandon Clark, there's a difference between a, a, a game being on a platter and a team not being hungry. They were and, hungry, and, and a team uh, having the game on a platter, and right. you want to seize it, and you miss execute. You don't execute. Well, that was kind of the story last night, right? Is the Wolves weren't there, whether Okogi or anyone wants to acknowledge it or not. I mean, it was. It had all the trappings of a Sunday afternoon game a couple days after Thanksgiving where the Wolves just kind of came out a little fat and slow and tired and nothing nothing was really clicking. And to credit to, to Memphis and those, those role players that kind of did jump into a bigger role, they came out and, and took advantage of kind of all of those holes, all of the, you know, the, the, the lack of energy that the, the Wolves did have. I mean, I'm trying to think of – who really popped last night for Memphis? Dylan, Dylan Brooks it just right. kind of plays like a maniac. In, well, and also, I really did think that some of the games swung on the idea that Memphis's backup point guards were just too big and brutish. Uh, you know, whenever they went with the small backcourt and whenever they um, had a situation where you had Allen and... Um, yeah, Grayson Allen and Anthony Melton. Melton, Melton yeah. And... And the ever-quotable Shabazz Napier, we just got through with the practice, he and Ryan both said in so many words, we totally overestimated ourselves and our chances yep. of winning. Uh, we did not take Memphis seriously at all. Ryan said it in his classically diplomatic fashion. Um, Shabazz was pretty straightforward. Shabazz was pretty straightforward about it. Uh, and so that's clearly what happened is this team thinks it's better than it is. It's not you. This team could not half-ass it against any team in the NBA, with the possible exception of Golden State. And well, it's it's kind of because right, the the non-Cat Wig and Covington pieces are something between bad and inconsistent, and 
so if they if those guys are all playing having a bad game, then they're pretty susceptible to anyone who's trying. Right. And and Memphis really really hit that. Speaking of Napier, I think the point guard position is kind of the thing that's been obviously most in flux here or we're we're right. learning about on a day-to-day basis kind of of you know, is Andrew Wiggins is the point guard. I mean, T's coming off the bench. Now they're trying working Napier back in. How that's all going to mesh together, I know just from the conversation we're having on the way over here, we kind of have different opinion. Well, you, I mean, you don't even believe that Wiggins is kind of going to be the point guard going forward, right? I, to be honest with you, began to walk that back in my mind in the first half last night. Uh, or yesterday afternoon, I actually think that Wiggins, Wiggins is increasingly uh, impressive in terms of the way he's not only looking at the court, but his prioritizing is much better. You uh, asked him last night after the game of like, you're, you're prioritizing you the, pa- passing over shooting. You've never done that before. I think you said that's that exactly what up. I asked him because of that that exact same thing. You know, that's why I asked it is because. I am impressed by that. I it it has gone for me from Wiggins is an insufferable ball hog who kills a team to Wiggins has learned thanks to the system that when he penetrates people are stationed at various slots outside the arc and he knows where they are so it's a paint by numbers assist for him at a low turnover rate perfect use of the system enabling Wiggins to yesterday uh, Wiggins having an awareness of this team is flat. I've got to do something, um, and I've got to start finding people off the dribble to get them involved. I think he's taking this point guard thing literally, and uh, I think that can't be anything but good because he always has his athleticism and his old way of being the quote-unquote point guard to fall back on, which is I'll get my own shot, and if I don't get my own shot, the system will enable people to get assists from me. Now it's I can really work to get my own shot to the point where people have to compensate for me, and I've already got it in mind that I I want to get people involved today. It's kind of a, um, it's a point guard mentality, and it's a sea change for him. I mean, it's just... It's remarkable that, you know, the kinds of things that uh, he's up to right now. It's uh, my belief and why I was kind of higher on, not like super high on this team, but, you know, thinking they were going to approach 500 this season was based on that. I thought this system would do a lot to enable unleash cat, you know, just on kind of the basis of he's going to be, Right. on the perimeter a lot more. It's going to... Which increase, is proven accurate. Which is proven accurate. But what I would say now is, I think you could say the system's been even more beneficial for Andrew Wiggins. Yes. Uh, only because we He's had a much him. lower bar for him. I mean, I would say still, you get a guy like, I don't know what his true shooting percentage is now, but I got to think Cat's over, still over 65, even after a couple of clunkers. Um, and he's still jacking up a, you know between like eight and nine trays a game and hitting one for 10 last night yeah so is he still over 40 percent though let's see i the, bet he is oh from three yeah he is uh-huh. he's still 42.1 after one for 10 after one for 10 i mean he's well that's it's because, because of the volume. Of the volume yeah right exactly. it's, it's been so high and so uh, but that's my point though is uh 
if the system has been better for Wiggins, what do you call a guy who is like breaking records for a big man from three? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's you're right. It is the bar. It's the bar. But but I do but think I agree. it's, it's yeah, particularly exactly. been it's a helpful. bigger surprise. The system is has has unexpectedly boosted Wiggins beyond put it this way. At the beginning of the season, we thought this system will really help Cat. Yeah. We didn't say this system will really help Wiggins. We thought if Wiggins adapts to this system, he might become a serviceable player. Sure. That's I mean, that was my bar. But anyway. base that was more so based on the shot values of just like if you aren't shooting as many mid rangers, you're gonna be a better player. But now it's it's bigger than that. Now it's he is not only he is flexing in the system, but the system is beginning to flex for him. Right, that's a good. And one that's point. a huge, that's a tribute to Andrew Wiggins. I mean, anybody who's read me for a while knows that for the last two years, a little over two years, I've been nothing but brutal on Wiggins until about a month ago, right. or maybe even three weeks ago. Uh, this is just a phenomenal. I mean, this is. Uh, well, we can't undersell it, the importance of it. I mean, it, yeah. it just zoom out of this last six games, last 19 games to make up the season, the, the, the albatross of the contract coming in was you, you can't undersell how negatively impactful that was for building a team around Carl Anthony Towns at 23, 24 years old going forward. It was an anvil that blocked him in both weight and bandwidth. It It's... For this to and be, cast a pall on the franchise. Absolutely. <laughs> like the well, what I asked Andrew last night was just because I'm starting to think, I mean, he's starting to we're talking about a 20 game sample size of like pretty good player. Yeah. I mean Actually, the, uh, f- uh I wouldn't call him an all-star in the Western Conference, but he's in the conversation if he's in the East. And he certainly is an above average player. You know, I mean, even the analytics, which have never been yeah. kind to him, I'm sure have him in, you know, over 15 per, over, yeah. you know, value over replacement and positive for change, you know, right. all that stuff. Which, again, I just I don't think you can undersell how important that is to the rest of the, the future of the Timberwolves because we know, as we've talked about, this is much more, this season is much more about creating a blueprint than it is about winning now. Right. And... And for that blueprint to ha- have Andrew Wiggins in it and to make sense, that that is so much more meaningful to me than a ten and nine record, or than Cat having a sixty five percent shooting two shooting percentage in this right now. I mean, it's it's hope I think for this team being able to take a couple steps in the next few years, and you can take that in a whole bunch of different directions of you know building around Cat Wiggins one A one B or actually moving off of Wiggins eventually to bring in a different 1B to Cats 1A because now it won't cost a million assets to do so. It won't be as as onerous of a process to get off of him if he's proving to be an Eastern Conference type. I mean, he's how about this? He's kind of like been D'Angelo Russell of last year. Yeah. Like a a low-end Eastern Conference all-star. Right. Which is, I don't know, what does that make you, like the 35th best player in the league? And also... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would say in that ballpark. Right. If we're talking about each each roster gets 15 players, then, you know, your top 30, if you look at it that way, if you look at the West being much deeper, yeah. then you put them, like, between 30 and 40, I would think. Right. Um, but 
another way to look at it may be, let's pretend Wiggins is just being Andrew Wiggins again for year six and plug in Jarrett Culver in Wiggins' slot performance-wise. <laughs> yeah. People would be losing their minds. <laughs> True. People would be going, oh, my God, what a rookie. And in some ways, Wiggins is even a better fit because he's Towns' age. He's one year old. He's yeah. less than one year older than Towns. Right. And so these can be, you know, if if Rosas decides that this is legit and he doesn't, you know, tinker with the idea of, of you know, getting off the deal now, um, then I think that it's it's pretty miraculous. Uh, you know, again, I got a question for you. Yeah. So people are probably listening to this right before the Wolves go to play Dallas which will obviously be the Luka Doncic show, yeah. but also Chris Hapsporzingis is on that team. Yep. Also on a max contract like Andrew Wiggins. Yep. Who would you rather have going forward? Doncic and... No, 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 no. Porzingis or Wiggins? Oh, Porzingis. Is it a no-brainer? I, I love rim protection. I know, but I mean, you've, I wa- do not you've watched him play this year. He's though. not having a good year. I will agree I, with that. I, I, w- I would say Porzingis too, for the record. But I just randomly thought of this, and... For me to even pause to consider that, put it is, this way, is wild. I will tell you right now, you put Cat and Poison oh, on yeah, the yeah. front line. Man, that would be fun. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. that would be so much That'd fun. I mean, Cat wouldn't, you know, everybody would be able to gamble on defense. I mean, that's one of the things Doncic really has in his favor right now. He's a big guy anyway, mm-hmm. but he's able to use his body in ways that he doesn't have to be fundamental. Right. Uh, and he's got a lot of work. Listen, Porzingis is not, you know, there was a brief thing on Twitter. It was either yesterday or the day before. People, A lot of people started to rag on Porzingis. Um, he, if he's not the best rim protector in the NBA, he's in the top three, you know, with Gobert and, you know, maybe Hassan Whiteside when Hassan Whiteside's got his head on straight. Well, Gobert is def- definitely better, and I would say, Healthy Porzingis, if he's down there, is definitely better than Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, I, and I would think a healthy Porzingis, if you ask me strictly on the basis of rim protection, yeah, um, I would take Porzingis, just because he's huge. He's massive, and and he also uh, has good looming instincts. He has great instincts in terms of going weak side to strong side for blocks, and also great recovery. Uh, I don't think I've ever watched Kristaps Porzingis live. Oh, really? Well, I'm thinking, I mean, I haven't been doing it this oh, long, right. and he's yeah. been out for like yeah, two years. Yeah, that's true. So that'd be cool. Almost there. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, and you know, poor Cat, I mean, well, Cat will shoot from outside a lot. I mean, you, you just can't post yeah. up. If you try to post up Porzingis, now, granted, I haven't seen him live. I've seen him Dallas a fair bit this year, but in terms of live, you really do get an appreciation for what an intimidating presence. I mean... Mm-hmm. DeAndre Jordan in his prime wouldn't be as good as Porzingis before he got hurt. And I would say even Porzingis now is right up there. I mean, he's – the thing about Gobert is that he's, – He's better than Andrew Wiggins, that's fair. Yeah, he's better than <laughs> – and, and that's no knock against Andrew Wiggins. And I was just thinking about it because it was yeah, relevant and, and, or whatever. And, you know, and I, I actually – you know, and who knows? In, you know, in another couple of months, Andrew Wiggins – has been adding, you know. I know. That's Porzingis. Porzingis is actually, if you look at it, 
if, if you were to ask me who would you rather have for the next two months, it would be a tougher decision. Yeah. I'd probably still take Porzingis, but I'm thinking to myself, hey. But this is, this is me, crazy, this is crazy to, to say. Give me a couple of months with Andrew Wiggins and see what else he can do. Because, I mean, you know, because be, imagine if, if we had this exact conversation two months ago when you and I were both like, what does it take to get him to leave town, Andrew Wiggins? You know, how much would you need to attach to Andrew Wiggins to get Chris Apple? There's probably no deal the Wolves could have made. I would... assumed it would take at least one draft pick, one mm-hmm. top pick, and perhaps two number ones to swap out Wiggins for another guy who was on a disappointing max deal sure. who had too fewer years or something. Sure. That was my parameter, which means you're crippling your team. But you are screwing your team to unload <laughs> Andrew Wiggins, which is which is why Gerson Rosas didn't do it. And and, and you know that any time I've actually talked to a, a smart like a smart person about Andrew Wiggins and his contract about trading it, every single time it's like it's less than you would think. It's less than you would think to get off of him, because I think like Gerson Rosas, who was an executive outside of. Right. They had the T, but we've seen the T's. No, but they didn't have the T's. They had this idea that if you use him differently, as they have this, you know what I'm saying? Where it's yeah. like they believe they could do what Gerson Rosas has done with Andrew Wiggins. I would, would hate still to cost think them. that I am that obtuse. I may be that dumb. But we might be, honestly, because yeah, no, no, I've ripped I mean, on him just as much as you have. No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, not, not <laughs> just, well, maybe not in writing, but if people who have, right. yes, I don't know. We, we both... I think not you were, you were more positive about Wiggins than I was, and I've been more positive than, of him this year than you are. I have you you were a Wiggins acolyte early on in his career, his and I was probably and... stupid, like not intelligent. I was just only looking at stats, and I looked at that and I said, "There's no way in hell this guy is ever going to be anything competent because every single box score he turned in was under fifty percent." Right. Field goal percentage. Right. Even not, well, I, mean, I mean, it was, it was he bad. never got in the defensive stance. Yes. He never honed a three point shot. He kind of sulked when he wasn't, you know, the alpha right. on the perimeter. There were just all kinds of red flags. I and, don't think we were stupid for our stances. And his help defense was just awful. He had, you know, he had blinders on like a racehorse. You know, mm-hmm. it was almost like he. He had two little uh, plastic eye uh, cones on either side of his eyes. Um, but where I think I was stupid and where you're pointing it out is that there were executives and there were people like Rosas and other people in the league who said, you know, it wouldn't take as much to get off of Wiggins as you think because they didn't give up on him. I gave up on him, I think it was about midway through the Butler season mm-hmm. um, where I just said, you know, I get it that he's losing touches. He still led the team in shot attempts, by the way. Um, and so... Because he didn't pass. <laughs> exactly. Well, all kinds of reasons. But I just thought to myself, you know, screw it. Uh, you know, all these people who've been ripping Wiggins for two years while I've been valiantly holding up the fort. Um, the, the, the biggest miscalculation I made about Wiggins, I think, was that I thought his parents, who were both really professional athletes in their own right. Mitchell was his dad, who was an NBA player. His mother was a, a, a well-known Olympic. Right. A, a, was a gymnast or something. But anyway. Runner, I think. Yeah, it could have been. So they both, I thought, impressed upon him, don't let sports run your life. You know, there's a fishbowl out there. Don't 
put yourself in the fishbowl unless you have to, and even then deflect, 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 because that's what I saw him do. And so I thought, he's got a mature attitude toward this whole thing, and this will ultimately help him in the long run. Well, maybe that's coming true now, but it certainly wasn't coming true when I was positing this theory <laughs> for a couple of years. And so I finally just said, you know what, Britt, you know, you're not right on this one. Give it up. And I had my, you know, two years of Wiggins hate revelry and was regarded as a very smart guy because I was, you know, ripping him up and right. down. And I'm eating crow again in a different way for the second time. It's, by the way, it is much better. Right. I know. It is always much better to rip somebody and have them show you your ass than to think somebody is great and have them show you your ass the other way. Well, because, because it's making a difference in the wins and loss Because column. you always want to be able to cover a successful... You want to see good basketball in front of your yeah. eyes. That's all you care about, you know? And so you have to call them as you see them. Uh, as it turns out, calling Wiggins, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not great in the science of figuring out Andy, Andrew Wiggins, that's for sure. It was... I, Summer League is kind of the... It, the feeding ground of media and executives, and you're all just kind of mashed into the same area. And two summers ago, so it was before the Jimmy explosion, you know, and Andrew's going into year one of this five-year max deal, my whole kind of goal, and knowing that whether it's media members or executives to talk to, I just, I wanted to ping pong that what is, what would it cost to, mm -hmm. to get off of Andrew against? Because I was so firmly entrenched in the, seeing what Cat is doing and so fearful of that anvil being in the way of anything positive coming. And I, I wrote it up afterwards and it was like every single person, like executive wise that I talked to was like, and they would throw up, like somebody threw, threw me the example of like what Phoenix traded for Mikel Bridges and like team, they're just like teams who have money to work with and are bad. They will. They would go get Andrew Wiggins if you if you made it available, and I was like, okay, but do you know what Andrew Wiggins is? But right, but I right, just you know right. kind of took it all in, right? And kind of left there feeling like I don't, I don't really agree with that. And then last year plays out Andrew's worst year in the league, and I'm like, okay, well, I kind of I feel proven right here, right? But the whole logic of somebody else having traded for him in the past would have been the long game. Right. And now we are into the long game of that point in time. You know what I'm saying? We're into right. approaching the middle kind of of his of his mag's contract and it's I don't know, it, it's just the most fascinating development of this season to me. Well, the most consequential, I think, even given you know, we were just talking about this on the way over again from practice to here, Cats in some quarters a top 5 MVP candidate, yeah. top 10 in, I think, uh, the NBA.com's guy, and, and you were talking about this Dunked On podcast that and you listen fifth, to. Yeah. He's fifth. Um, I think anybody who watches this team this year, they knew Cat's pros and cons last year. Cat kind of got screwed with the empty stats idea last year. I'm not sure that was true. I don't, I'm not defending his defense, and I think I'm on the record here as saying if push came to shove, I would have voted for Gobert over him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't think the empty stats thing was accurate. I right. thought he carried, you know, he lost a lot of five-point games shooting lights out and wasn't any worse on defense than he was when the team won 50 or 47 games yeah. the year before. So 
that was he was it. better at defense last year than he was the he probably was game. yeah, yeah you're for right. sure and so, and this year too yeah i mean although it's begun to get shaky it has so that's what they that's what they were saying on dunk Don is whatever you know listen and because they can't watch every game like we can because they're right. covering the whole league right. you know they rely on numbers and the true shooting stuff i mean it's ridiculous if, if you compare it to other centers in the league or just other yeah. volume scores in the league it's it's ridiculous if he good. was a wing you go man what a great shooter yeah exactly. we can maximize him you know but what they were saying was and he's like acquitted himself of being a below average defender and that's where i was like jury's still out jury yeah for, yes i i agree i i do think he can have taken a step from last year and still be below average because I, I don't know, I, I wrote something last year and I called them like 40th percentile of like centers who play and and kind of my whatever idea there was if he does become an above average defender, like look out for the Wolves mm-hmm. because we know what the offense is. And so I don't know, maybe call it like 47th percentile now or something like that because it, it, is, it is better and what I like most is this more of a commitment to what the game plan is. At least it appears. I don't, right. don't know exactly what the game plan is, but that instinct shit that he was doing a couple years ago, that's what cratered him defensively is he was like, all right, we're in a drop scheme, but here's a situation where I feel like I need to come up and out. And the rest of his teammates weren't, they weren't planning for that. And he has a hero mentality. That's the problem with his instincts is yes. that, when he relies on his instincts, his instincts are, you know, Billy Budd or, you know, I mean, whoever, pick your, uh, you know, your hero of the moment. Uh, you know, it's... I don't know who Billy Budd is. <laughs> I'm sure it's a literary <laughs> reference that I'm not even sure. That's one of, <laughs> one of, one of the reasons I, I walked it back immediately. <laughs> but uh, what I would say is that when the things are breaking down... Cat doesn't think in terms of, okay, let's regroup. He's thinking, big block will turn this around. <laughs> or, uh, you know, let me bail out, totally. my, bail out my teammate here. Totally. You know what I mean? He has, because he's, you know, he's a privileged athlete mm-hmm. who has had good things happen to him throughout his life. And so, therefore, hey, I can do this. I can step in. It's kind of a natural reaction. And what... David Vanterpool, in his wisdom, and the rest of the team, Ryan and uh, Gerson, Rosas, and everybody have done, is simplified his game so he can't do that. And if he does, then it becomes very obvious that he's obviously... If if Cat indulges his instincts and plays out of his slot, then it's going to result in a bigger-looking gaffe than it, it is anyway. I don't think they're necessarily running game to game complicated things defensively. No. But what has started happening is it's changes game to game. And even in the middle of a game. And one one example being the Atlanta game with Trey Young. They were playing up to touch right. on the pick and rolls in the first half. And and he was kind of getting after him in that sort of way and he was finding lob guys. And so then they they played their centers, Cat and Jang, much further back in the second half. It was a clear adjustment. And I'm not saying it necessarily worked. I don't think the Wolves executed great that game. But, but they Trey did. Young was not as effective in the second half. But they whatever whatever it was, Cat did it. He right. played up to touch in the That's first right. half, and he played and he played back, taking the lob away in the second half. There wasn't a hero mentality. That's right. In that sort of game, at least on the defensive end. And as far as his hero mentality in the offense offensive end goes, 
I don't mind that that much because he is a hero. Exactly right. So it's that's it's that, kind of about and that's yeah, where you know. It. And if you want credibility, if you want to say to Cat, stay put, then you want to say, hey, you know, on offense, we want you to do X, Y, and Z now. We want you to be yeah. Marcus Haynes. We want you to, uh, you know, uh, dribble. I don't get. Uh, he's a Harlem Globetrotter. That's one I am kind of sure of. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just this whole idea of uh, we want you to be the distributor. We want you to be the guy who, yep. you know, makes the decisions. Uh, and therefore, you know, he can suck it up and say, all right, you know, I'm quote unquote the rim protector. What he really is, is so he's a big body that you want in the way. Uh, and to Cat's credit, when he has stayed put, um, he's looking below his waist a lot more. He's, he's intercepting a lot more Play the bounce passes. Yeah. And um, it used to be that Cat's, all of Cat's focus was above his head, you know, mm-hmm. protect the rim literally. Right. And now he protects the paint. And there's, you know, laterally he's getting more deflections. But I would say that's schematic too. Yeah. I, I mean, say. I mean, it's credit to him. But again, you're, they're putting him in places where it was harder to be in the pocket. Right. Under, under Tibbs. Because right. what they would run is all the way out or all the way back, pretty much, right. with him. And, and now, when you're not only just because you're diversifying your coverages, but because you're playing some coverage that asks you to live in those passing lanes, yeah, you're going to get your hands on more of those balls. So I think it's, I, I, it's not totally working, but I'm intrigued by the notion that every single game I have to go, it takes me a couple quarters to go, all right, this is what you're doing. This pretty different tonight. There's mm-hmm. there's a whole different defensive game. Like last night, Memphis, they're going under every single shooter screen, right. and and that that's just different than when they obviously different than when they play Trey Young, right? And it's it's just such a departure from the Tibbs style, which was pretty much the same thing every night. But their paint versus perimeter responsibilities are largely the same. Mm-hmm. In other words, pinch down and help Cat if he needs it. Yeah. Uh, and switch heavily, if you can, on the perimeter so that you can pitch down. Right. They don't want to have two people caught on a high pick and roll. For sure. That still is something that, regardless of their coverage, you don't see them go over and trap on many pick and Ever. rolls. Yeah. And so I think, again, it's protect cat in mm-hmm. the paint. And that's another reason, I think, why it, it, uh, some very people I respect and people I don't respect have said it's time to move Rocco off the four and play him at the three more often. Um, First of all, Cat really works well with Rocco at the four because he trusts him. And I've said this over and over again. If he trusts somebody, he plays much better next to them. But also, um, you have a situation where they're looking at it strictly from the offensive side of the ball or they're looking at the fact that Rocco was so good on the perimeter with his hands that they want that feature. But if you say, for example, Kata is the often, oftentimes the, the workable solution in, the, in their eyes. Kata at the four, Rocco. Kata at the four, Rocco at the three. And I got, that screws up Cat totally. That's Kata, Kata, KBD guarding the paint alongside Cat or being one of Cat's most trusted pinch partners 
strikes me as systemically bad because it messes with a good thing on that side of the ball and also uh, pecking order and attitudinally bad, although I'm sure Rocco would love it because he could be he could flourish. Sure. But Kata, I'd l- uh, I have always been lukewarm on Kata uh, and have to heat up the temperature because he's just playing so well, but I still believe that he his best attribute is between his ears. He is an extremely smart player who knows how to get the best out of himself within whatever system he's adapting to. And once he got an opportunity to prove that, he's he's used the corner three like nobody else on the team, and he has also used cutting. He's the two role models, are, you know, it's been written before, but uh, Luol Deng and Jake Lehman, mm-hmm. he watched both of them, and they both, you know, really work in this type of a system. So, so here, here's my thing is, as somebody who, with, uh, very, at the beginning of the year was very much questioning Rocco playing the four and not mm. at the point of attack as I'm seeing the, the problems that they were having defending the point of attack. If we could clone Rocco, I would agree 100%. He's yes. great at the three. I'm not saying he isn't. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm, I'm starting to back off that a little bit because I think what the, the adjustment they're making is a diversity of coverages. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the year was one. They, yes. they were just like, we're doing this to start. As opposed to zero in the preseason. <laughs> they had nothing. Yes, exactly. But but now, within a diversity of coverages, one of which is Rocco sometimes out on the point, I like it. I, you know, right. that, that's because a Because you balance. can get that rotation. You're right. Every now and then, they will have to backfill for Rocco, but Towns knows that's just the system. It's not the guy who's always going to well, be they, there. They just have what appears to me to be autonomy to pick up whoever they want. Right. Like within the, a certain position group. I mean, last night it was first quarter. It's like, okay, Rocco's on Jaron Jackson. Now Cat's on Jaron Jackson. It was just kind of like transition back to whoever's closest to him. Right. And then and then in the, the San Antonio game where Rocco was kind of taking on a little bit more of LMA. wing duties. Right. Yeah, but, but then sometimes he would come out and he'd be on like Bryn Forbes or DeMar DeRozan. Right. Right. No, DeMar DeRozan, who, what, who it was. But then when he's out there with not another big – the switch becomes Trevion Graham is on the Marcus Aldridge, who Trevion Graham is a little bulldog, but right. he's like five inches shorter than Rocco right. with way shorter arms. Right. And then Aldridge is able to, to bruise him a little bit. So so I'm like, oh, this is cause cause for me, where I'm like the play, play Rocco out on the the best point of attack attack like player, which is DeMar DeRozan. Well, it's like, no, that doesn't work if Trevion Graham is now your de facto four getting posted up by Marcus Aldridge is a huge person. Right. Like that's a bucket. Easy. Yes, right. So I like to see the diversity in there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but teams are too smart to, if you just run the same thing over and over again in 2019, they're going to spread you out and they're going to pick you apart, every team. Yeah, I think that's well said. I also think that um, you have a situation where if you are running switches, you have to stay with the switches. I mean, if you have a bad switch, then you, you hope you can kick the person out and, and, and get it in there. They don't but have the good same, chemistry on them, though. Well, the, I like the switches, no, but they're, they're not comfortable switching with each other, well, it looks like. I think also some of it has to do with the fact that uh, you have, when you have Graham, Okogi, Culver, yeah. any two of those on the floor at the same time, with Rocco being a fourth, those are all handsy guys. Those are guys who are great deflectors, 
who really like to uh, use Man, their... Okogi's f- taking that to the next level. I mean, how oh, many yeah. of those little Covington ripaways did Okogi have last night? <laughs> Chris was like, you've been hanging out with Rob. Exactly. And Culver is, is a good handsy guy, I think. Sure. And so what you're saying about switches, I think what we're really talking about here when we get back to it is the, po- the point guard switches and uh, to some extent... You know, the Cada switches, the, uh, um, you know, I, I, I switching is always going to be, put it this way, the more you switch, the more likely you are to get screwed. You have to hope it's a mm-hmm. two-switch possession tops. If you're into your third switch on a possession, then the offense should be smart enough to be able to have gotten the ball to somebody who has a mismatch. What, what I'm saying though is is just the comfort even in the first switch, uh-huh. like that they're, they're they're not there yet, which I, I don't even blame them for. It, it's early, and a lot of this personnel right. has not played in, in a right. scheme like that. And I haven't noticed that as much as you do, but you pay more attention to that to, than I do. So I do, I trust your opinion on that. I just don't I don't usually say to myself as I'm watching the game, oh they got screwed on that early switch. Sure. Um, what I often see is that. Um, Part of it is, you know, readiness and transition. Part of it is a uh, good shooter who just is, you know, um, better personnel or whatever. Although last night, I got to say, um, the, the, point, the point of attack was killing the Wolves. Um, well, that, Jaron Jackson went right at Cat early, got two quick buckets off the left hand. Sure. Um and that was a, a case where Rocco couldn't help because it was straight up the gut. It wasn't a baseline. You know, the fours and threes are, re, you know, responsible for baseline help more than straight up the gut help. And um, and also point of attack, the, the, the point guards. Wiggins did not have a great defensive night. Um, and they're recognizing a greater need, like – Ryan and the coaching staff is it stupid. We need to control the point of attack better. So what they're trying to do, and they're playing with fire a little bit, is by playing multiple point of attack players out there at the same time, meaning Trevion Graham and Josh Kogi, because right. you got you got right. Rocco right. back at the four, right? Right. Well, so I'm just looking this up right now. Trevion Graham, Josh Kogi, and Jarrett Culver, they're playing two of three of them out there at the same and time. And that makes together. sense to me. Okay, but look at this. The best offensive rating of any of those twosomes. Offensive or defense? Offensive. Okay. Is good? No, it's terrible. Uh-huh. Trevion Graham and Culver, 101.8, which yeah. is terrible. Yeah. It gets worse. Akogi and Culver, 96.7. That makes total sense. That's terrible. Trevion Graham and Josh Akogi, 90.8, good for a minus 15.1. And we're talking about a ton of minutes. Right. All, for all three of those. Yes. So it's, it's just absolutely killer to play them on the offensive end because, as we're talking about, the system, Andrew's coming in and he's distributing. But when his two guys he has to kick out to are any of those three, the offense is bad okay, because so they this, can't shoot. This could be a fundamental miscalculation. I will never forget asking Rosas that time. that Wolves had two press conferences. One was for all the rookies and yep. one was for all the bargain basement guys. Yep. And when I asked about the bargain basement guys that day, I said, almost all these people are defensive-oriented. Are you worried about the offense? And I'll never forget what he said to me is, we have Carl Anthony Towns, one of the best offensive players in the league. We will structure our offense around Cat, 
And bottom line was, we don't worry about offense right now because we have Cat. Fair. Uh, fair to an extent. Cat's having a phenomenal year. And are they uh, out of the 20s yet on offensive rating? I'd have to pull it up, but uh, I would close think to after that. Memphis they're not. Yeah, you know, I think it was like twenty second before. I think. Yeah, so I think they're probably mid twenty mid twenties now, more like twenty third, twenty fourth. So, in other words, bottom third in the league in terms of offensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. With Wiggins having a phenomenal comeback year, <laughs> and with Cat having a phenomenal year, period. Uh, I, I will say to Ro- I, I, I think we're on the same page here, but to Rosa's credit. And just to highlight the other side of this, right, right. this argument is the defense when Trevion Graham and Jared Culver have been on the floor is very good, 103.8. When Akogi and Culver have been on the floor, 100 flat, that's elite. Yes, and yes. when Graham and Akogi have been out there, 105.9, also very good. Yes. Or good. So it is working on the defensive end when you do play those. But your net rating is down. Your net rating is down. It's, it's minus are- 2 with Graham and Culver. It's minus 3.3 with Akogi and Culver. And it's minus 15.1 with Graham and Akogi. So there you go. That's and then they then that's the fewest number of combined minutes, right? They don't get to see the court that still one twenty one. Yeah, it's getting up there. That's getting that, up there. That's too bad uh, because they played seven last night. Because I know I tweeted something out last. Well, night where before. where are the people? You know, there's been this big uh, boom, at least on Twitter, of uh, play Rocco at the three. There's also been this big boomlet of you know put Graham on the bench. I'm more empathetic. And sympathetic to the Graham on the bench. Oh, for sure. Uh, until you see him play defense, you know. I mean, it's it is funny. Uh, well, he's just a limited player. I mean, he's, I mean, he's not a not in a bad player. That's that's a very I I couldn't agree more. Doesn't what, mean he's a bad player. What you admire, no, but what what you admire is he gets ninety five percent out of four leaders, <laughs> which is the same as somebody getting fifty percent out of eight leaders. I mean, unfortunately, that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. So if he isn't talented and he gets almost everything out of his talent, it's like a talented player who plays half-assed. I, I think if Kirsten now, Rosas culturally, was... you know, it's good to have a guy who gives everything. Yeah. But, I mean, he's inspirational, and you do put him every on everybody from Blake Griffin to Trey Young, mm-hmm. you know, so he is obviously – the guy, you know, you always see the cliche, you can guard one through five or one through four. They want him to guard one through four, and, and we will fondly remember him when he's long gone. You know, I mean, he will, he'll be the Ryan Gomes of this season, you know, the guy <laughs> who's like the Swiss Army knife that sure. uh, has some really dull edges on him and, and sometimes can't cut for crap, you know. But uh, what Gerson would say if he was sitting here is he goes – there will never be another season where we have to play this many minutes of those two-man pairings of that of that limited of shooters. I, I and I would I would hope he was right because there will be a right. Trevion a Trevion Graham 2.0 or the, the next Trevion Graham will be better at shooting than this Trevion Graham. And is. let's not forget, you know, Shabazz Napier and Trevion Graham were gotten for a song, and they didn't even have yep. to sign them. Totally. I mean, they they, they could have cut them for no money. No, it was, a, it was a great. Pickup. It was it was a it was a hidden deal. Now you know, too much of a mediocre thing. Mm-hmm. Now you know, but a lot of wings hurt. And you know, what do you do? You go to that super small lineup that got toasted against Memphis. Do you uh, play? Yeah, well, well, hold on though, because you know that's another <laughs> one of my pets. I know everyone, and including in the media room, we were talking about this today. I was like, okay, I don't think we need to like set the idea to sail that Jeff Teague and Shabazz Napier can. Can't play together. And you have an ally in that, in Ryan and probably Gerson. 
Yeah. Well, what I was trying to ask all you guys was I was like, okay, so it doesn't work. It sucked last night. I agree. Mm-hmm. And But I think it's because what you said, more bruising guards yep. in, in the Memphis guys yep. that impact them. And also, Shabazz Napier hadn't played in a month. Right. So he was it's not, very, very rusty. Yeah. And Jeff Teague was being Jeff Teague. Sure. Okay. I, I, I agree with all Which those is, things. you know, spin the roulette wheel yes. on Jeff Teague. I just think that... Given the track record Shabazz Napier has of playing off guard, yep, well, right. in both Damian Lillard and D'Angelo Russell, as we've talked about a million times, I think there's ample reason to to believe he can do that again. Jeff Teague is is a little bit more of a wild card because he's not D'Angelo Russell or Damian Lillard. Thank you. I, okay, I don't, but no, I, that, I that would have been my comeback. I'm glad you are, are acknowledging that. Yeah, uh, I would say the issue I have with it is even more on the other side of the ball, as Shabazz Napier, in his inimitable fashion, reminded us when we were talking about the little lineup and about, you know, yep. how it, he says, well, if for that to work, you need to have two guys who really get after it on defense or whatever he's, whatever he said. I got it here somewhere. It was so obvious that what he was saying is, if Jeff Teague isn't playing defense, this isn't going to work. And... <laughs> Which to me says this isn't going to work, because Jeff Teague very, very rarely plays defense. Okay, here it is. For me, it's exciting to be on the court with another guy that's quick and another guy that knows how to play the game real well. It definitely poses a lot of challenges because I think the biggest key I've known being able to do this is you have to do it defensively. If you're unable to do it defensively, it's not going to work. Biggest challenges. I love the preface. You know. It's fair. I, He'll be me, a coach someday. I mean, I, I Shabazz Napier is a great. Uh, I'm excited to have him back and, and see what he can. You call him an adult in the room or whatever the adult. Well, there's uh, he, he's joined by Jeff Teague as well, one of the older. He's younger adults. than Jeff Teague. But, I know, uh, but well, it's a, it's a young team. No, I right. I think I, I would like to see it work on a really simple or get more run on the simple basis of Shabazz Napier is one of the best shooters on this team. He probably now I, on, on the wing. On the wing, statistically take, now it just is not happening. Yeah, I mean, I've had to defend this. I, I, I have also regarded him as a good shooter, and people just go wait. back and watch the shots he took in Brooklyn last year. They're I know, tough. I, I know. I mean, not you. I'm talking to others. It, but this imp- year he's been horrible. He's been horrible. He's played seven games though. I get it. I mean, it. It's, just it's a lot better the- than Trevion Graham, Jer Culver, or Josh Okogie as your wing shooter there. And if he can acquit himself defensively, which I think we both believe that he can do it, then it's worth running him and Teague out there together because it gets him a greater volume of overall minutes. Okay, so what about this? What about Wiggins-Napier? Yeah, for sure, that too. That way you have a guy, Wiggins can do his drive and kick thing, and it's kind of like when you repost people. Yeah. You kick it out to Napier, and then Napier is suddenly, bang, you got the point guard all over again. That you, What you just said, that it was Brooklyn in a nutshell last year. That was their offense. And, yes, I do think they should do that. And I, I, I'm saying this as someone who is higher on Jeff Teague than most, simply because I look at this whole roster and I say, if you gave everybody on this roster the 28 minutes a night that Jeff Teague has to get, you're probably getting more production out of Jeff Teague than you are out of a Trevion Graham, a Kata Bates-Diop, a, a lot of the other wing options, the, the rest of the wing options you have. So I think just out of scarcity, he has to play. Yes. But it does pronounce, given his size and Shabazz's size, and now that Wiggins is all of a sudden a point guard, there's a, a point guard minutes bandwidth that has shrunk here 
where it becomes an issue. And I'm thinking as I was walking home from the game last night, I'm like, I I now think it's almost certain that Jeff Teague is going to be traded this year. Mm-hmm. I well, just think they're going to, no matter if they're winning, they're going to want to play more of Wiggins and Shabazz. And if they're losing, they're going to want to play more of Wiggins and Shabazz. And I and think they'll get off. This is one of the things I'm going to write about in the next 24 hours. But um, I think where it gets politically dicey with Teague is if you decide to play Jarrett Culver 18 minutes, well, he's a rookie, and you decide he just wasn't ready in this matchup. Mm-hmm. If you play Jeff Teague 18 minutes, yep. agents begin to murmur. Things begin to, uh, you know, you, if you know anything about the behind-the-scenes shenanigans of a basketball franchise, sure. Jeff Teague did the selfless thing, and everybody, you know, uh, bestowed the sword on his shoulder as being a noble dude. Uh, I wrote it. Um, I did too, you know, in a fashion. Um, but the 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 other side of the coin is, if Jeff Teague is sucking out loud, you can't pull the plug on him uh, as easily as you can almost anybody else. So so these are, oh, where am I? The since he made the move to the bench, the first game was Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He still played thirty one minutes in that game. Exactly. Against San Antonio, he played thirty two. Yep. And against Memphis last night, he played twenty six. There you go. But yeah, I, I'm interested. And he to see hogged how the tr- ball in the fourth quarter. He didn't. I'm not saying he played it well. Just pissed me off. I mean, I can't <laughs> believe Jeff Teague refused to shoot for two rotations, wrecked the rhythm of the entire space and pace scheme. Gets in the game in crunch time. I asked Ryan about this, and Ryan made excuses for him up one side and down the other. Um, you know, savvy veteran, understood he had a mismatch, da-da-da-da. Yeah, let's ignore Cat and Wiggins in crunch time against a bad team, and let's have Jeff Teague go off. Everybody knows Jeff Teague isn't going to shoot a three unless he's wide open and you can't get to him anyway. So Jeff Teague does manage to get six of his eight free throws, two of his four shots, but only one of his six assists, and still finishes with a minus in the quarter, I think. And minus 13 overall. Yeah, I think he was minus two in the fourth quarter. But the point being, he the reason that you put the dude on the bench is because you have two alpha scorers and okay. he is supposed but to when, be. Used. So when are you gonna play him? Are you, what what if you're Ryan Saunders, when do you play Jeff Teague? How play much do you play Jeff 15, Teague? 16 minutes because that's what the system warrants right now and you can't do that so you're saying that's not happening because of agent bull i say it's not happening because you have a kumbaya thing the team is still 10 and 9 sure um he whether it was automatically uh 80 percent teague and 20 percent of the team going along which is kind of the way it was spun or whether it was more like 50-50 or even 40-60 in terms of the team saying, hey, you know, maybe a good idea for you to come off the bench. Um, Logic will tell you a guy making $19 million a year on the last year of his deal who you're not going to re-sign versus a guy you traded a pretty good power forward for and the 11th pick to get up to draft, Mm -hmm. who you hope to be a combo guard, not just an off guard. That guy wants minutes, he deserves minutes through his slow progress, you can't tell me 
that he doesn't belong out there in the four. He was the only starter on the team to hit half his shots last night. He played well. He was benched for most of the fourth quarter, yeah. theoretically, because they ran a full-court press or something. No, I, so they need to make rotational adjustments. I agree with that. They need to limit Jeff Teague's minutes, yeah. and Jeff Teague needs to be happy with it if he truly is the mensch that everybody's making him out to be. I agree. But I don't see that happening. I think we're getting uh, uh, song and danced. I, I think that Jeff T will not be a happy camper if he's getting 18 minutes because the dude is at the end of his contract. He's 31 years old, you know? Yeah. I, it, in a vacuum, I agree with you, but I just go back to looking at the rest of this roster and I go, okay, so you want to drop it down from 28 to 16? Who do those other 12 minutes go to? If it's your boss Napier, cool. I, I get that. that. That makes sense to me. And maybe we will see that progress over these next few games now that Shabazz is back. Shabazz, right? Shabazz. Yeah. Um, I always I believe me, that. Uh, we had Shabazz Muhammad I know. the entire time. <laughs> you know, bazzy, bazzy. You know, it's tomato, tomato, right? I shouldn't have cut my point off. The <laughs> the uh, the difference, though, yeah, is I if I really you, like that little segment. <laughs> if you're if you're replacing those twelve to fifteen Teague minutes. With Trevion Graham, no, I, Josh, I know Josh Okogie. Okay, cool. But Okogie uh, uh, is also, and and I, I think we probably will see more. And what more did of that. what did Okogie play last night? Now, admittedly, he was like minus fourteen. He was not effective, but he was very very low in minutes. Oh, no, which maybe maybe he, he was furiously channeling Minnesota passive aggressive by saying everything was fine last night. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I think there. I think there's a way to do it. I just, I understand that it might be a process of getting down from 30 to 18. Right. And I'll take 22. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think we'll get that? No. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it depends, right? I, I said the kumbaya thing. I do think there is a great desire. Well, that, that's do, why I'm saying I think he's going to get traded you eventually. Do, you do not want this era of good feeling to unravel. And again, I mean, I, one of the things I'm going to write about in the next 24 hours or so is I want to tip my hat to this team over the last six weeks. For they sure. have outperformed my expectations, and I think they're on the verge of a crash. So <laughs> I think I want to give them credit when it is due. Um, so I, I do think that uh, you have to give them credit I do think their synergy of good goodwill has helped. For sure. And I think that Teague is an obvious impediment to uh, the performance. And if we can spin this stepping down, you know, uh, as a noble thing rather than a necessary thing. And and when he's good, let it go up to 28-30. By all means. Right? And also, again, we get back to this. Jeff Teague finally let one fly the other night. He didn't take a shot for 14 minutes, first of all. And then when he finally did let one fly, it went in the basket. So you had to hope. If Jeff Teague played... The way, 
I'm criticizing Jeff Teague right now the way I criticized Wiggins the past two years. I think his shot selection is far more based on his comfort level than it is on any analytically based idea of what is the most effective way for you to be on the court, Jeff Teague. It's kind of like in football where um, linebackers who don't stay in their slots just go for the ball carrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks good if, you know, you're really fast and you evade the blockers and you four-yard loss on an end sweep. On a counter play and your slot is where they go for 73 yards up the middle, that's kind of the Jeff Teague conundrum we're having right now. He has to play off the ball or be a willing, immediate distributor, immediate being the key phrase there, <laughs> keyword, when Cat and, and or Wiggins are on the court. Otherwise, he needs to be a reliable catch-and-shoot option, which his history would indicate is a good role for him. Now, you pointed out something that made me reassess yesterday when I was in the middle of cursing out Teague, and it was, what about his feet? You know, yeah, how is he feeling? And if that's, that is a plausible, I mean, if we're going to get... We have, to, even if, though he won't talk about it, we have ample anecdotal evidence of him, the feet being an, an issue. He's wearing like six pairs of socks every game. Look at how, he looks like he has cankles yeah. because he wants extra cushion. And there. he won't give up his shoes, he, even he, though they're ripped to And crack. he trades them. Well, that's what the, that's what's happening is he puts on one pair of shoes and then as soon as his foot starts feeling uncomfortable, he switches to the Timberland looking shoes. That's what he said. I mean, he says that's that's what it is. So there there is a nagging injury there, or what is it's not nagging, a debilitating hurt. injury, De- debilitating. Yes. And what you brought up to me is that might be the factor in why he's not shooting. But that doesn't totally resonate in my head because I think about being somewhat hurt and less a, a foot injury with your theoretically make you less explosive. So why would you prioritize getting to the rim or moving north-south as he is doing if an injury is bothering you? I would say, you know, my foot's kind of bothering me. I'm just going to spot up and shoot. Because if you're going to be hurt, why be hurt and do things? If you Not if you're going to be hurt. If you're going to play badly, mm-hmm. why not do the thing you think you do less badly? I think he has no confidence at all in his three anymore. I think he does have confidence in being able to draw the foul at the rim. Sure. And I think if his foot bothers him when he lifts off from distance and it's a very sharp one-time pain and he's okay driving to the rim until he has to lift off at the rim, that's also a sharp one-time pain. Uh, I'm just presupposing here. I do think that if he says, I'm going to be hurt anyway, but at least I won't look like a fool clanking three after three, uh, right. I'll at least get to the line. One thing Jeff Teague has always been able to do when he has played aggressive Jeff Teague style, which we all love theoretically, I loved it until the fourth quarter last night, was uh, get to the line. And right. he's a great free throw shooter. So that's a good thing. Um, but I think all, it's more I, that he's set in his ways. An already bad defender has become much worse with that those feet, though. Right. I mean, he's, he's just... Oh my God! I mean, he's just a terrible defender on ball. I mean, you're getting no pushback from me on that. Yeah, right. The, the the shooting thing though is, I think he just shoots as much as he shoots from three. It's just like that's how I play, and he just has decided that whether he's wide open or not. Right. Because I mean, 
the numbers wise in Atlanta, 2015, 16, 27.8% of his field goal attempts were from three yep. in Indiana. The next year, 27.7.1% yep. different of were, were threes. And then in the two years and change, he's been in Minnesota, 27.4%. It's literally, he shoots the same volume of threes period. And in other words, it does not matter where I catch it, who is guarding me. I just have a little quota in the back of my head. Agree. Okay, well, that is a guy who does not play like a mature veteran. That is a guy who plays like a stubborn, you know, he's got Johnny Manziel brain, you know. <laughs> I'm going to do what I do, man. Right. And, and whether it works or not, this is what's going to happen. The uh, Before we wrap up the last thing, because you – I, I do kind of see that maybe this is a peak of the year now, 10 and 9. And I, I, I don't think they're going to fall off big time, but, like, it might be a while until they're 500 again. I've been predicting doom all year. I might as well not stop now. Well, I, I just think you have a little bit more ammunition now. Ammunition being just on schedule alone. Right. I'll read the next nine games off to you. At Dallas, at OKC, at Lakers, at Suns. Home for three, but against the Jazz, Clippers, Pelicans. And then two more road games at Denver, and then a back-to-back at Portland. That is a brutal nine-game stretch. Yep. Because even the three home games are against the Jazz Clippers and a Pelicans team that's going to have Zion and probably Favors and a couple of those other guys what's back. Up, what's up with Derek Favors? What happened? Probably got Jeff Teague feet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's been injured. I know. but and it, what, Do you think that's why Gentry hasn't had confidence in him from the jump? Maybe. I guess he came into camp hurt then. I, I have no idea why. Which I would mean, be, also I, be a lot like Jeff Teague. Or they're all about the I same know age, was, right? was in Utah, yeah. uh, he was a force. They, they've had a whole bunch of Yeah, that's been injuries. a weird season. They, they're, they're mine, though. It's Ingram mania there. It is. It's kind of like Wiggins. Um, there's, there's, there's a 7th and 8th seater open in the West. I think the 6 are pretty well locked up in standings-wise. And the Wolves currently occupy seven or eight, one, one of those two spots. Right. And then the kind of two teams who have track records of maybe bubbling up into those two spots are San Antonio and Portland. And Portland does look legit. I, I, even I now, think Portland's going to get one of those. San Antonio is not. San Antonio is not. I know. So then it becomes this eighth and final spot. And I think then the Wolves But are, see, you're discounting Sacramento, which I did only three weeks no, ago. No, I'm putting them in. Oh, okay. The Wolves are in this bubble All right. for All right. it All right. with Sacramento. And New Orleans. And that's what I'm saying. It's New OKC. Orleans. I think if I'm picking right now, I'm picking New Orleans. I'm picking OKC. Yeah, well, that goes back to the whole we, what we can't control is knowing what the, the trade motivation are. I, but I, I do think the Wolves, even with this brutal nine-game stretch, because everybody's going to have a tough nine-game stretch, um, that they're, they're still in, they're still for sure in that. I just kind of believe that Port, I, I see Portland coming back up, progressing towards the mean. Well, it depends on, I'll tell you, the, the more Carmelo Anthony ingrains himself in that team, the less I like their chances. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, right. I mean, oh, come on. I mean, what, a, a team with McCullough and Dame Lillard need an unregenerate gunner who can't defend as like a third option? It's an interesting tactic. We'll see if it pays well, off. Well, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And so... But you're putting... What, okay, so if you're picking those last two spots, who are you taking? You said Portland, right? Yeah, Portland and OKC, not necessarily in that order. Right. Yeah, I just think... I, th- I think the... And maybe Sacramento. See, I, I, I've I been bad-mouthing Sacramento for quite a while. You and I both ripped on uh, Luke Walton royally. So I think it's going to be really funny if he 
you know, suddenly it turns this into a 45-win season or something. Right. But, um, you know, I think De'Aaron Fox is playing well again. Buddy Heald is being Buddy Heald. Is De'Aaron Fox back? Isn't he? Like, recently? I, I watched a game, like, four days ago. He I wasn't just, playing. Oh, really? I just assumed he was. How are they winning, then? Who's the, the, their point guard? Uh, Corey Joseph. Okay. And I watched them play against the Suns. They played against the Suns. I was watching that game because it was before the well, Wolves. Well, and so Corey Joseph, in my opinion, is the goods. I forgot they had him. But they got a weird team. But that is not – their pace got to be much different with Corey Joseph, though. Oh, they're like third to last in pace this year. Sacramento? Yeah. Oh, man. I guess I have not been watching them. Well, I mean – No, seriously. I, I really I – ha- I think I've seen – you know, I've driven by their games in my surf of league pass. But I, I guess I never realized that – how long has D'Angelo Fox been out? Um, if you say like three weeks, it's going to look really bad for me because I've seen I him at least three or four times in that. <laughs> I, I don't that know. I don't know how long he's about. You know, the the game that I watched though is uh, was when they played the Suns, and Yo was looking good. Was Belly, who yeah, is about ten pounds heavier than he was in Minnesota. Yeah, but he was he was giving it to Dario. Understand though. Understand. Are we in the middle of a three week Belly phase? Is it early in the season? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your thing. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I've just it. it it popped. I mean, right, he's right. I, I didn't mean, think he was gonna um, talk to me in February about Belly. <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the Kings, the Kings are in are in that mix there. Right. And um, how many games has Darren Fox played this year? I really want to know the extent of my. Uh, well, you know how slow basketball obtus- reference is here. Obtuseness is. Um, is he under ten games? <laughs> he has played nine. Uh, okay. It's well, hard to keep up with everybody. It's hard no, to keep up with. No, but still, everyone. it's too bad. Um, I just assume he was one of the reasons they were playing well. well and Bagley's been out for it's, them, too. It's sobering to know that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. And okay, I'm excited to, to watch Wolves against these next two against Dallas and OKC. OKC's been, I mean, Chris Paul. That whole team, I'll tell you. Yeah, Brett, he's been out <laughs> since November 12th. Oh, man. <laughs> so every time I see Sacramento, I guess I just never never locks in that D'Angelo Fox isn't on the court. I just assume he's part of the team, and I just <laughs> haven't been seeing him. Because I have, I've literally watched like up to like ten or fifteen real time minutes of the game right. on three or four occasions, and just thought, okay, yeah, they're doing all right. They're doing better. D'Angelo Fox must be playing well. De'Aaron, you just called him De'Angelo like six yeah, times. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think of those nine games? What do you what do you see happening? Uh, two and seven, three and six. That's what Jason and I were talking about this too. And I was like, okay, so if they do go three and six, you're still 13 and 15. Yes. Out of a pretty brutal run. And, and right now the eighth seed in the West is eight and 10. Uh-huh. So it's not, I mean, unless the Suns and the Wolves are seven at 10 and nine. Yeah. So it's like, you're not, even if they go three and six, they're out of the mix. But what I'm interested to see is how does this team and the Kumbaya and all that, how does that handle a... Right. A three and six. That, that'll kind of be the test for Yeah, me. the nature of the wins and losses. If you lose on a last-second bucket to the Lakers or something, you know, or are you getting manhandled? Right. I mean, one of the things I do worry about is they have not played teams that beat them up a lot. Sure. And when they do, Memphis, Milwaukee, and Philly. And I've been on that all year. You know, um, teams that can beat you up beat up the Wolves. And when I hear OKC, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to even get within 100 miles of whether or not Stephen Adams is healthy right now because <laughs> I could be wrong about that. But uh, 
You know what the, the argument is, though, for the Wolves actually somehow pulling out five and four on the stretch, which I don't think will happen. No, no, no. I, the, the argument, for, I, I, it's not what I'm making, but they got a little bit of Houston Rockets the past couple of years of like, if you're going to shoot 40, they're going to shoot 42 threes. They're going to make them sometimes. They're going to make them sometimes. And so maybe you pull one out of your butt against the Lakers. Yep. Because you made 21 of 42 threes in that game. It's just hard to beat a team that makes 21 threes in a game. Right. Like, and we know the other way it's going to, it's going to swing bad where they're going to go six of 42 in a, and in a bunch of games. they play Denver tough. They yeah. always play Denver tough. So, I mean, if, if they can have their bad shooting nights fall against the teams that are, that are on the road. Anyway, right. right, right. Like, the, like the, the Lakers or the, I don't know. I mean, they, they do now kind of have that in their back pocket, which is kind of luck, but, it, but it's something where. And, I mean, let's, uh, let's be charitable here. Last time we were together. Right. It was on the day, literally the day of the Utah podcast mm-hmm. uh, game, and I I felt smug as hell. I you know I'm not even going to pretend I think the Wolves have a shot tonight at all. Well, I I had inked in a loss, and they won that game, and they won that game without Wiggins too, by outsmarting or at the very least taking advantage of the Towns Gobert mismatch. And what I thought was interesting, and you know we don't need to revisit everything but that backup game i think you even wrote about it gobert took the challenge of the perimeter defense that second game yeah and i don't think people expected that that was fun it was uh it was interesting i went to jazz shooter on that day and people utah media people were asking him about cat because i think if i would have started asking him about it, he'd be like who who the hell is this dude like right. you know kind of blow me off but it's like you know it's it's their television it's the right. marty gellner of the right. the jazz and they're asking him, and he's just like, "Okay, I gotta, I gotta answer these, I gotta answer these questions." But he was not having it that that I the narrative to, out there was that he got beat up by Cat, or that he they would have to adjust. Yes, away yes, from exactly, that exactly that. And and so he didn't. He'd clearly been like given the memo of like, "Don't say what we're gonna do." Right. But shoot around just ended. They just gone through it, and and so they like they're just peppering him with Cat him questions the whole time, and I just got a lobbed a grenade in there of like. So do you think you'll be out him out on him on the perimeter again today? Because remember in the, right. the close yeah. of the one game they they That's took Gobert we, off of him, right. and he's like, "We'll do whatever coach says." I was like, "All right, fair, fair. <laughs> That's fair." But I was like, "I don't know. I'm not going right. to see him again." So and the coach is telling me I got that assignment, and right. and he did, and and he, I mean, that was the first game, that was the first game that we saw somebody specifically game plan to take away both Cat with topside doubles. You got Gobert on your back. And you got Royce O'Neal coming down to your double. And then on Wiggins, they're bringing help from the nail. Donovan Mitchell's coming over for not a double team, but, like, he's getting in the way there, too. Like, that, to me, if I'm another coach against the Wolves, I go watch that second Utah game, and I go, if you got a, if you got a Steven Adams you can put on Cat's back and you can show double help, you've, you've, uh, you've taken a lot. They're taking the post away from Cat. Mm-hmm. And then with Wiggins, if you're guarding him up top with two defenders, that's just tough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. If Wiggins is feeling a second defender at the nail already, like you can't get downhill. What you got to do is you end up pulling up for a mid-range shot. So I think th- they're going to need something around them because as soon as Cat gets going, they're going to defend him that way. And if Wiggins is going, they're going to defend him that way too. And the, really, the only thing they have to sacrifice is open three-point shooters. So, you can't have Graham on the court. Yep. 
you have to hope that either Okogie or Culver hones their instincts enough to know how to exploit that type of... Because they are assuming mm -hmm. that Okogie and Culver will shoot themselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. You know, they will not... And, and one of the things I will say about Okogie is he has learned Absolutely. how to dish off the dribble and finish. He's the best at it out of the guys who can't shoot right. far or away. And so maybe you have to start thinking a little bit more about Okogie and for Graham in that starting lineup in that type of, a, of situation. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Okogie sometime in a week or two. Become. In this this next nine, yeah. that he boosts his At standing. the very least, maybe for, for Luca. Because yeah. I don't think a Graham on Luca is a good idea. But but dude, it's a it's an injury thing. I know with with Okogi too. So that's what we don't know. I mean, it's an overuse injury. Josh said as much in in Atlanta. I don't know if you saw that. I don't I don't know if Chris published those quotes or anything. But he he. I mean, it's like a meniscus or or no no. It's a spatel thing. He basically acknowledged that it's from playing over the summer. He's been playing too much hmm. and. And that they need to kind of boost that back up. Now, that doesn't last forever. I don't think he's capped at a 22-minute number for the whole season. But for now, what I think we're seeing is, I don't know how much they can they can. So play Graham is literally by default right now. That's well with Layman out mm -hmm. and with Okogie limited. And they're they're stealing some minute some grand minutes with Kata too because Kata's not just playing that four right, role. Right. They played like that Atlanta game. They played Kata in a big big lineup where he was like the two or three sort of mm -hmm. thing. I mean, they yeah, they they're and, not. And to their credit, perhaps, and this is another thing I'll probably write about in the next couple of days is just you know it'll only be a paragraph or so, but it's in my mind. Load management. If there was ever a game to play Cat and Wiggs 40, it yep. was yesterday. They had two or three days off. They have two or three days. It Talk was an island thing. game. It was an island game. And yet, and and Wiggins, instead of Teague, for the, some of those third quarter minutes would have really helped. And Cat on the floor a little bit longer. It really, really feels like there are, I don't know if it's minute limits, but. 36, I think, is yeah. they begin to get really nervous. You get above that and. I'll tell you, if that would have been Tibbs, they would have been forty-two minute games. For right sure, there. for sure, and and so and, that and maybe you know, again, who's to say? You know, load management is one of those things that just bores me to tears, quite frankly. Same. But uh, if you play Cat and Wiggs, are they two of twenty rather than two of sixteen from deep? Uh, do they f unlock it? But I still like the idea of having your best guys play a collective eight minutes more against a bad team and see what happens. Because that wasn't the only game that's happened to him. No, no, but that was There's the game. another one of those. But I've never seen an island game like that. That Memphis game, if you look at, uh, you know, you have one the of those. The Suns game, that's what I was thinking. I guess it wasn't But the refrigerator yeah. magnets that you have that you have the team <laughs> schedules yeah. and you see this, this colored date and all this gray behind it and in front of it, yeah. you go, oh, that's an island game. You know, I wonder, you know, they should play well. Mm -hmm. Because they have time to do things, and then it was Memphis at home, and and meanwhile you, well, you're, you're only given what were the minutes? Do you have it in front of you? Uh, I think yeah. it's like 34, 35, probably no more for those for guys. for, for Wiggs Cat and played, Cat. Cat played about thirty six. Oh, he did, okay. and Wiggins was at thirty five. Okay, 
So and that's the up. That's their. Ceiling. But it still felt like there could have been more. Because remember the fourth Easy. quarter, like Cat didn't come in until like seven minute mark or exactly. something. Oh, we were talking about it during the game. You were you were saying when do you bring Cat back? I said right now. I said, <laughs> well, you know, it'll be thirty nine minutes or whatever. I said, yep. They're getting away a lot better with the uh, Gorgie minutes stealing time for Cat than they are for Wiggins. What I will say, the the main thing I want to write about in the next couple of days is that they have wrung out a lot of value from what I see on paper. I mean, Gorgie and Cater weren't even part of the mix at the beginning of For the sure. season. They open-minded, the open-mindedness with which this team has gone about figuring stuff out while at the same time hewing to their system, I think has been an admirable blend. And I, you know, because I've had to re-examine myself. I have them for a 34-win team. And I still think it may get that bad. I really do. I mean, I think things could really hit the skids. But at some point in time, you have to say, okay, in what ways am I underestimating this team? So you take a good hard look. And one of the ways is I did not think Ryan's roster jumbling last year felt to me almost like, uh, you know, like so one, I'm of guess and check. one of these bogus signature, you know, like when a guy who doesn't have a hit record for a couple of records, you know, finds a new sound that gives him a hit single. He, you know, he next two singles are the same, you know. I mean, it felt like a weird signature move, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan as the great experimenter. Uh, this feels a lot more legit. This feels like, uh, hey, I'm not just, you know, uh, mixing and matching uh, to do it. I'm doing it because, hey, Gorgi Jang is out playing Noah Vonley right now. Right. And even though Noah Vonley is well, probably it, ready to strangle everybody in that locker room, that's, that's probably true. By now, I'm but that play the, the Kada finding finding something in Kada, and then just probably the most meaningful. I mean, the answer at the point. Getting rid of Teague, right? <laughs> Seriously, out of the yeah. starting lineup at the very no, least. For that sure. is open mindedness. It's and it's it's paying and hats dividends. off to them. And Ryan is no longer just an errand boy. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think that first of all he bought into it, but then he internalized it to the point where he can become his own advocate for yep. it. And that's growth. That's real maturity. I give him credit for that. So that's a sneak preview. There you go. That's Britt Robson. He'll have that column up at the Athletic. Uh, probably Tuesday evening. We will both be in Dallas uh, for the game against Luca and Chris Stapps, which I think will be awesome. And then you're going to OKC too. I am. And then um, I'm scurrying back here to uh, <laughs> I'm not going to Phoenix in L.A. because the road is not That's that enough. kind to of a guy who <laughs> likes to look at his navel and write long pieces. <laughs> you know, you kind of expect to uh, do gamers yep. when you're on the road, and that's not my style. Right. Um until next time, you can follow him. He's at Britt Robson on Twitter. I'm at Dane Moore NBA. I'll be back with something for you from the road on Dallas. I don't know exactly what that'll be um, on Thursday, but uh, until then, he's up. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.